Did you know that one of the world's top academic programs is right in your neighborhood? At Basis Independent Fremont, passionate teachers, curious students, and a globally benchmarked curriculum featuring advanced math, science, and robotics make for an exceptional learning experience. Meet and greet our world-class faculty and staff and tour our newly renovated transitional kindergarten through grade 8 private school campus at an upcoming open house. Register at basisindependent.com slash spotifyca. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of the Stolen Signs podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Harry. Hello, Kendall. Welcome to episode seven. Seven. Lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. Do you know Mickey why? Mantle. Yeah, there you go. Do you know why seven is lucky? No, I do not. I don't either. <laughs> okay. Is it, uh, does it have to do with dice? I don't know. I have no idea. No, probably not. I, but seven's like the most common common, you know, like that's an easy number to get, isn't it? When you're rolling dice, is that true? I don't know. I don't gamble, Harry. I'm not a gambler. I don't, I don't gamble either. Life uh, is full of sufficient risk to yeah. not take any others. That's with true. Dice or otherwise. So when I Google lucky number seven, lucky number eleven, the movie came up. That is definitely not what I'm looking for. So, um, the lucky numbers vary by country. So, like thirteen isn't always unlucky. It's unlucky, I think, like in like the Western world. So, in the United States and in, in Europe, like it's thirteen is bad. So, for many years, you never really saw baseball players wearing thirteen. It's more common, but you see it. I think I don't think it's an unlucky number in like Asia. So it's a cultural thing. And dice are probably pretty much the same everywhere. So I don't know how that. That seems to make sense. Yeah. Well, we're still on episode seven. Well, right. But, but the number of interests is two. Two. Today is about two way. Oh, two way players. Two way players. Yes. So players who have the ability to play offense and defense now because <laughs> that's the thing in, in most sports two ways it's like well he's a two-way player plays offense and defense like well no everybody does that in baseball so i mean in a way everybody in baseball is a two-way player uh but we're talking about guys who pitch and hit right so and there there's been a not bit just of a... the recent craze of emergency position players right john jay getting a lot of uh, innings pitched and things like that right yeah no, that's not what we're talking yeah, so there's been a kind of a proliferation of two-way players or folks who want to be two-way players. Uh, recently drafted last year was Hunter Green and Brendan McKay. Both, I think, have aims of being two-way players in the majors or through professional baseball anyway. Um, and it's, then, it's, it's hard to do. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Shohei Otani. Um from Japan is a two-way player there um, for the is it the Nippon Ham Fighters? Is that yes? The team Nippon Ham, right? yeah, Nippon Ham, and uh, so he pitches and also hits there, and he hits really well. He does. He hits. Balls. So we're we're actually going to talk to our 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 friend Sungmin Kim, who is uh, actually 
in Korea, who covers Korean baseball and Japanese baseball, and writes now for the Sporting News. Some people may know him from River Avenue Blues. So he's going to kind of walk us through the posting process and talk about Otani's skills. And then I've done some of my uh, now uh, trademarked half-ass show prep. Very good. And uh, just basically off my memory and then uh, augmenting it with actually looking at player pages, uh, just to make sure I had the years right, that, you know, players who in somewhat recent memory who have done something resembling double duty and playing both the pitcher's role and the hitter's role in earnest. Very good. I look forward to unwrapping your uh, half-assed research. Um, Excellent. I did a little bit of myself more on um, uh, more thinking about um, how the two-way player might fit into the game, um, the current game, and, and moving forward what that might look like. So we'll we'll dig into that um, probably after we talk with Sung Min Kim which we will do after this. Um, so stick around. Um, in the meantime, give us an email if you have any questions or feedback at stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com or on Twitter at stolen underscore signs and rate and review us on iTunes. And I have our Google Play update. So apparently... Apparently, there's no need to do anything different for podcasts on the Google Play Store. So all of you who've been waiting and pining, wait no longer. Just put our RSS feed in your podcast player, whatever. So have at it. Go nuts. And if you're listening to this, you probably have figured it out already. So... All right. Well, we will be back and we will talk with Sung Min Kim. Stick around. All right, and welcome back. Uh, we have Sung Min Kim here with us from the Sporting News, and uh, he is in Korea. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our By pleasure. the side of the road. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's 11.27 here, so the day is wild. Yeah, it's, it's nighttime here in Chicago. You know, it's... The Cubs are playing. You probably still some light where you are in Portland. The sun, yeah, the sun's going down right now, so uh, we're all over the place. Uh, yes, so, yeah. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of the story of the day right now is um, that Shohei Otani is going to be posted this off season, um, and uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the posting system, uh, maybe some of the changes that are that have taken place and that are kind of proposed right now. And then um, just a little, try and learn a little bit more about Otani as a player. So um, sure. can, you, 
can you take us through kind of where we are with the um, the posting system? So posting system at this moment, um, where should I start? Because if in order for a player to be posted, um, they have to express interest in going to the uh, major leagues, and the team has to either accept it or reject it. And what, right now, while the team hasn't um, um, 100% officially accepted yet, the report recently has uh, indicated that they probably will be after this season. And that's what makes it exciting because we might see Shohei Otani in the uh, Major League uniforms next year. And But the problem is the incentives that the team's going to get and also the, what the player's going to get. Because um, due to the CBA, um, the NPV teams can uh, get the maximum of $20 million from a Major League Baseball team. Um, in the past, there was no cap, so the Sable Lions received uh, more than $50 million for Masajaka, and the Nippon Ham Fighters um, received, also received more than $50 million for Udarvish. And then the, owner, the Major League owners wanted to change that, so the new CBA has it at $20 million. And so that's the one part. The well, another that seems part, like a pretty major change to me because that's, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Major League Baseball Players Association getting together with Major League Baseball to make a decision that really heavily impacts the mm-hmm. the teams in Japan, the, the, the MPB teams. So yes. for, for my reaction to that and hearing that is Major League Baseball wants to reduce the flow of players coming here because by disincentivizing the teams that hold the rights to those players to receiving max financial benefit, they might say, well, he's not, he's worth more than 20 million to me if I keep him. Pretty much. Or, um, they just want to, you know, keep it to the uh, best interest of the, um, teams, uh, running their own team uh, by sacrificing, or I don't want to say sacrificing or giving up less money to the, uh, Japanese baseball teams. Because if the trend goes upwards, um, they could have they could be seeing the teams giving up like I want to say seventy five to hundred million dollars for a player instead of a fifty or, or twenty five. And that's just for for the rights to sign that player to a contract. That, that's rights to just to talk to a player. Yes, just to talk. Wow. Mm-hmm. The part two is that Shohei Otani is only uh, twenty three years old, which means that he is bound to the. Uh, international free agent signing rules where um, um, the limit to his pay is limited. If he, I mean, I think it's only for players under 25 that um, teams can only spend a cap uh, of what they're allowed. So it's part of that whole international spending pool then? Yes, it is. And this is unusual because he's much younger than the typical player who's been posted. It is. Um, well, he could wait for two seasons and get uh, two seasons. He could spend the next two seasons in Japan and then go to major leagues and, you know, get like a Tanaka or a ta- or Right, because then he wouldn't contract. be covered by that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. So, why is he but, coming out now? Because um, it seems to me that this is a case where his heart and desire to be in major leagues definitely overrides um, his uh, um, immediate um, desire to make money. 
I mean, but at the same time, he's making a little more than $2 million worth of money in Japan right now, so it's not like he's going broke. So, and his desire to go to the major leagues has been known uh, for a long time. Even as a high schooler, when uh, he was a, you know, he was a prospect, um, he caught the major league team contacted him and then he wanted to go there. And I think um, the teams like the Dodgers, Red Sox, the Yankees um, came close, but um, later after um, some soul searching and negotiations, he decided to uh, go on to the uh, MTB track and try for major leagues later. And looks like the time is now. Didn't he basically tell MPB teams not to select him like when he was in high school because he wanted to play in the major leagues so badly or and that like I heard that 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 was he was like yeah I don't want to play here I want to play in the big leagues so don't draft don't me. draft exactly. me but then there was mm-hmm. some sort of heart to heart there's then, a lot of yeah, oh, go, yeah ahead. Um, go ahead I don't I didn't know the specifics of what kind of conversations they had, but there are a lot of implications of uh, in Japanese league MPB. They do not want to funnel. They don't want to be. They don't want like a. They don't really want like a start to like starting up to funnel elite amateur talents into the major leagues. Um, I mean, if they have a talent like that to sell tickets um, for the league and bring him revenue, then why would they want to lose him early to the major leagues? That's the thing. And that's also the thing when, I mean, if Shohei Watani wanted to go to the major leagues earlier, maybe like this past offseason, then they, uh, he could he, he could have that um, the team wanted to um, have him longer while he's still in the contract, um, while still in the, under the control of the, their contract. So, so, but they're so, still agreeing uh, to give him the early, so maybe there was some type of compromise or no. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, it's not just him either. Um, there's also um, Seibu Lions, a uh, left left pitcher, um, Yusei Kikuchi. Yusei Kikuchi, okay. Seibu, okay. So he's after the next season. Okay, so we're, wow. So we really are entering kind of a period of more talent coming despite the lowered cost. That's good. And so there's also um, been some proposed changes to the posting system mm-hmm. um, heading into this off season. I don't know if this is related. I think we are not... Can, Out for it. So, um, literally, um, a day or two ago, at the NPB uh, owners' meeting, um, the Giants owner uh, Shoichi Oikawa uh, put a proposal to replace the uh, current uh, posting system, and it would be that the teams uh, it would it's based on the teams uh, receiving the Japanese teams receiving 15% of the amount of money paid to their posted player by a major league baseball team. And that includes the signing bonus, salary, and the incentives. So, you know, on the Japanese side, they want to uh, make it make it work so they also uh, they can uh, receive more incentives of sending their best player away to the major league. 
like baseball team. And would that be would that be on top of the twenty million posting fee, or is that kind of in replace to replace the twenty million posting fee? I would imagine it, it would be on top of the uh, twenty million posting fee. Got it. Yeah, and, th- and the other thing I'm wondering is that just for the initial contract or for the the player's entire major league career? I mean, well, that's a pretty big tax. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's something else that I'm also reading. One proposal will be flat, fifteen percent, and the other will be fifteen percent until the payment to the player exceeds hundred million. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how this proposal goes, but um, I would I would imagine that the Major League Baseball and their on the on the MLB owners would have to be happy with that uh, proposal. So we'll see. At this point, um, I mean, here's the thing: uh, because the impact of Otani is so big that new rule can be created between now and then till winter to accommodate what's going on. So, so the, so we really don't know. I mean, so it's just, it's that full of, wow, that's amazing. So, mm-hmm. so, I mean, you mentioned like Otani is so big that, you know, we could change the rules just to accommodate him. Like, and, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, he's a talent and he's, you know, like, I mean, the term generational talent has been thrown a lot, around kind of a lot lately. I would imagine you know, Otani gets that tag as well, but uh, what makes yes. him so, what makes him so special? I guess can you can you talk about that a little bit? Well, and have first, you seen him in person? Not in person, but I've seen plenty of footages since he was in high school. Got it. Um, I mean, first of all, if you look at him, um, he's just he's just a different animal. Uh, he's he's got lanky. I mean, he's got a lanky uh, frame, but he's adding muscle. He's got. A, He's, I mean, if you just look at him, he just looks like a pitcher. He looks like a baseball player. He looks like someone who can hit, I, mean, he, I don't know, like maybe 20, 30 home runs or more in the future. So he passes the eye test. Second of all, he passes the performance test. Um, he's been, I mean, ever since, I want to say, uh, let me look up his stats real quick. He's, I mean, sure, he hasn't shown too much with the pitching this year because he's been, because of the nagging ankle injury. But um, last year, he put up a 1.86 ERA and struck out 174 batteries in 140 innings. And that's really good numbers anyway you look at it. And he did it as a 21-year-old. Yeah, that's that's really... The, probably the most impressive part of that stat line is able to compete at that high level mm-hmm. at, at 21. So that that speaks to you know the talent and possibly also the type of composure and makeup he has. Mm-hmm. And he also allowed only four home runs in 140 innings last year. <laughs> That's something like a, a really good relief pitcher does. Over a course of four seasons, you know he's only averaging one home run. That's crazy. And it's not just the talent; it's also his makeup. He is a very—I mean, I don't know how to. There's no—I mean, you know—there's like not really a lot of metrics how you a player's makeup or character, but 
this guy is, I mean, you don't really get to that level without being a really diligent hard worker. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, this guy is a hard worker. He has set goals on what he wants to accomplish or what kind of skills that he wants to get or even as a what kind of person that he wants to be ever since he was in high school. And there's a chart that um, I wish I could translate and share to the people, but unfortunately I don't speak Japanese, but there's a chart, chart that he made when he was in high school that he's been slowly um, cross, crossing off the uh, bucket list job. Mm. And it's really impressive. That shows you how determined he is as a person. And I think that's the X factor when it comes to a player going to one league to another, um, the, the will and the uh, character. Because obviously a lot of players have talents, but how many, ta- but how many players have the um, um, the hard-headedness? I mean, I came to America when I was a little kid, and it took me years to get adjusted to the new environment and culture. So it's gonna, maybe it's going to be a little hard for Otani when he first... I mean, some, some cultures are when he comes to America, but... Um, I think um, I would bet that he's going to make it work uh, to live in U.S. pretty well. I mean, and I'll just pretty quickly. So he's um, kind of seems like a, he's a quieter guy, and he like doesn't go out and party and all this stuff. Do you think that that's going to help him um, as he comes to the United States, or like I guess I can kind of envision, um, especially as a two-way player, not um, really having a, a spot to fit into on a team or in a clubhouse. And so I, I think that that's definitely one thing that I think about when I think about him, him transitioning, what, what do you, how do you think he's going to handle that? That's a good question. I mean, that's a lot of ifs and I'm trying to tweet, predict what's going to happen in the future. But as far as him being quiet and not really going out, goes um, I mean, it's like you're in college, and if you don't go out that much, but also, but at the same time, you spend your time studying or just recharging for when it's important, then you're gonna be a better student than if you go out partying all the time, you know. Um, as far as the, uh, being a two-way player, I mean, he really likes hitting as much as he likes pitching. So if a team wants to get him. Um, they will find a way to accommodate him, accommodate um, his desires, and that's a part of that. And I think that will be a big part of uh, uh, this winner when a team's trying to sign him. Because right now it comes down to not just not just not the uh, money amount of the money that the teams can spend, but the how well the team can persuade him to fit his uh, desires. This is a pretty unusual situation for at least modern baseball. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're not talking about Brooks Kieschnick being a relief pitcher who occasionally pinch hits in the final years mm-hmm. of his career. This is we're not. We're talking about a guy who is probably your one or two starter in the major leagues, and, and he's hitting. And you, three. Want to, you want him to hit on his game ball? Yes. Um. He's got a clear hitting talent. He had a OPS over one thousand of one point. He had an OPS of one point zero zero four last year, and he's hitting three forty six this year. Yeah, so he's you know, and I would imagine that his, as you describe, like he has this this goal list, this plan, 
that that slightly reminds me of what, what what crossed my mind was Tiger Woods having the list of all the things that Jack Nicholas had done, and yeah, you know, that drove him to such work and discipline because he knew the enormity of his goals, and mm-hmm. you know how hard they would be to achieve. Um, and I imagine that's probably you know kind of piecing together from from all this all this stuff you've been telling us tonight is you know or this morning depending what what side of the planet you're on uh, is the the notion that he's 23 and he's ready to show up now it's not about the money he's extremely goal oriented he has a, a tremendous work ethic this guy probably has on that chart become a you know top flight major league hitter and a top flight major league pitcher. And, right. Yeah, I mean, this guy's driven to do something that people haven't done. So he's combining all these things. Is coming over to a new culture, doing it younger than most guys do it. Uh, you know, I think Kendall's mm-hmm. point about where he fit in in, in a clubhouse culture. That's an interesting one. I hadn't thought about that. That there yeah, is clubhouse kind of, cultures. Mm-hmm. So do there's you, a lot. This is going to be a different animal. Do you know <laughs> how he fits into the the clubhouse now? Like, um, is he? like beloved within his teammates does he is or is he just kind of quiet and um more reserved um currently i mean you know um i think there'll be a better question asked for guys like kazuri yamazaki but i would imagine because he is a uh, on the younger side in the clubhouse he is a little more quiet i think right. that's that's usually the case in the in the uh, asian east asian culture Younger, younger players are a little more quiet. Older players are more voiced, boisterous. So, I mean, to me, that sounds like he's well prepared to to be accepted in, major, in a major league clubhouse because if, if his object, if his if his mo is to be relatively quiet and has mm-hmm. and has a work routine that's pretty vigorous, mm-hmm. committed to. I mean, yeah, he'll be mm-hmm. that. That's that's all. That's all. That's basically all you have to do <laughs> at, at that point, it, you know. I mean, I can over, I can already envision the headlines. I mean, whatever team he goes, they're going to talk about how extraordinary his uh, makeup is, extraordinary how nice he is, how well um, he quote unquote fits into the clubhouse. I really doubt he's going to be a not content anywhere. He's a really, he's a really nice person as far as I've read, um, or as far as you know, the media has covered him. Well, it's all exciting. <laughs> I mean, one in, one indicator of his um, makeup uh, that I saw is that um, last, last in 2016, uh, a Korean media got to interview him, and then he actually greeted the Korean media with Korean phrase. He, he actually said he actually um, said like a, a Korean greetings to Korean media uh, when he was being interviewed. So, I think. It's those little things that come together that shows you a lot about a player's character. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And if you're an MLB team, I don't know how you're going to compete with other teams to, you know, persuade them to sign with them. Like, it's going to be an interesting race. Really interesting. I know the Yankees are already preparing a video presentation. And... I would imagine teams like Bo Sox or Dodgers don't want to fall behind to the Yankees on getting him. So I don't know. Does he want to play in the field or does he want to DH? I mean, that that's 
I mean, I just thought about his hitting and pitching. Does he want to be an outfielder? And you know, I would imagine he, I would imagine he wants to hit back, hit more than he wants to field. He's been a DH for the fighters uh, lately, um, as he become as he became a more accomplished two way player. All right, that's good. So I think that makes sense. So I think you know your your base. You basically probably are. He's going to prefer him. I'd be surprised based on that if you if he doesn't go to an American League team, unless the NA, unless the NL changes him as well. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I mean, I'm honestly curious myself as well. It's too early to tell um, what he exactly prefers the major league. I mean, who knows. Well, yeah, well, what we'll do is definitely have you back on. And Kaz, who, who was actually hoping to be with us for this, but he's busy covering something for someone. He is um, one. So, but yeah. There are other NPB contacts that I can uh, recommend to you. If you well, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure yeah, cool. would love to know some of those are. Yeah, we can sure. share their Twitter links and whatnot as well. Uh, sure, um, I can. I can DM you their uh, uh, what was the handle? Yeah, that's like. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. There's a lot to. There's so much. There's so much to learn. <laughs> and if they're changing, and if this, if there's going to be a change in the system, it's going to be easier for teams to let mm-hmm. players go. Yeah, it's where it's not going to just be the frontline superstars coming it, it could be more of a flow of you know more more mundane everyday talent yeah, role players you know? bench players yeah role players relief yep. pitchers like where teams aren't like well you know because they're still going to want to have their star players but they're still going to be one of pipeline so maybe it's going to instead of the thing where they're just the elite players go that maybe there's more of a more of a diverse distribution of talent levels showing up i, I mean i don't know it's just it's going to change maybe yeah. someday we'll have an actual world series oh that'd be cool all right well thanks for joining us um from korea sungmin kim thanks so much for coming on and you can uh read your work at the sporting news and um we'll uh we'll link up your twitter in the um in the show notes and also we'll um tag you when we when the episode comes out thanks so much for coming on thanks thank you i hope I, I hope the interference wasn't too bad with the uh, uh, internet hey, connection. Or this is great. No, yeah, man, this is great. Joined us last minute and from across the uh, planet. This is pretty good. <laughs> thanks for coming oh, on, man. man. Really, yeah, appreciate thank it. you so much. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Yeah. Take it easy, man. Do it again. Take it easy. Have Cheers. a good day. All right, welcome back to Stolen Signs. Um, thanks to Sungmin Kim for coming on um, and talking to us about Shohei Otani and um, kind of some of the international signing stuff around that and the posting uh, system from the MPB. Yeah, now, I'm like way more interested and curious about the whole process now, even than before. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be that like, was so interesting. Yeah, like the, like yeah, like you said, the uh, the more and more or the easier it gets for players to be posted yeah. and come over. Um, Dynamic change. Yeah, that'd be really an interesting interesting thing to see. So, um, so yeah, the, the two way player thing though. Yeah, gonna be, that's maybe they should. I'm, I'm all for the uh, NH you know, the DH and the NL at this point in life. So if they want to do that and, you know, maybe let the Cubs say sign him to be pitcher DH, I'd be fine with that. That'd be, that, person, would, so. that would be okay. Yes, just for sure. My neighbor, just my neighborhood nine, you know, that, no big deal. Just parochial attitude I have. That's right. But yeah, the two-way player thing, I think that was pretty interesting. And, and Kendall, you asked a really good question. I thought about what role he would, where do you fit in? Cause it's always just the pitchers and the hitters thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what I was thinking about. Like, cause it's not even just pitchers and hitters. It's, you know, culturally he's going to have to fit in. And especially right. if he's like a quieter guy, although what you said makes some sense too. Um, like Rookies if he's supposed to be quiet. Right, yeah. If he just yeah. kind of falls in line, he can probably fit in Still a little work. bit that way. But um, yeah, like it, who's he going to take BP with? Is he going to, you know, hit with the pitchers or is he going to, oh, I mean, he's going to probably hit in the first or second BP group right. every day. But he also would mentioned spring training, you know, you got, I guess that's not that much different than, no, it's more work. It's just got to be more work to manage and a schedule. And it, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen much. We've mentioned Brooks Kieschnick. And he was a outfielder in the big leagues, you know, and like the, you know, at the end of the last millennium, I think. And uh, he then converted to a relief pitcher. And I think in his last year was 2004. He was, you know, a relief pitcher and a pinch hitter, like a regular pinch hitter. And probably, I think, got a couple games in the outfield as well. You know, that, that, you know, I don't know between him and Babe Ruth, I don't know what really went on. But I, you know, wasn't Ruth the same deal where at least when he was with Boston initially? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he, he um, did both, right? He like pitched and then played in the outfield for three days and then pitched and then. Am I mistaken? No, I think that that's right. I'm pulling up his, um, his career here. Um. Yes. I have to go to Baseball Reference for that. I don't yep. think we have his pre nineteen fifty. Yeah. So be dead before we start our our data. Moment of silence for Babe Ruth. Um. <laughs> yeah. We Moment of silence for our pre nineteen fifty data. <laughs> so his first four seasons, um, he was just pitcher only. That's for age nineteen to twenty two, and then he played left field, right field pitcher and first base and then pretty much that same um grouping he played uh no he played i'm sorry uh left field and center field when he was 23 for boston and then yeah yeah so i mean he he his last year pitching was um his second season in for the Yankees, so nineteen twenty one. Okay, so he wow. All right, yeah. so there was the Yankees who got him out of pitching. Yeah, so he was way. basically managing to do it, but they, in effect, they weren't getting as. I'm just kind of guessing here, and 
particularly for project this more into the modern era, right? You're not going to get, you know, those those other all four of those days in between starts. You might get three. You might give him the day after a start off because he just his legs are going to be done from driving off the rubber, you know, 120 times plus warm up pitches, stuff like that. So, yes. So that season he played in 152 games and he hit 59 home runs. Let me pull up his pitching stats. Yeah. So, well, okay. So in 1921, he, um, he only pitched nine innings. So, yeah. So pretty much his last season. Yeah. His, yeah. His first season in New York, he pitched four innings and then, um, second season, nine innings. And then he was probably just like fill in work. He wasn't part of the regular. Yeah. Okay. So, and I don't know people who are listening, who know baseball history can tweet at us or whatever and tell us what I'm missing. But for me, it goes then to Kishnick. And now today we were, we were supposed to have to remember just in the past year or two, Christian Betancourt, who was yeah. a catching came up with the Braves and was traded to the Padres. And he was supposed to be catcher, pitcher, infielder, outfielder. And people were like, slash, slash, you know, and, and all excited. And things haven't gone super great. He has technically achieved that ideal of pitching, catching, and he's even played second base in the major leagues. He, he's, Which is pretty amazing. Yeah, but his pitching wasn't really ready yet. They right. kind of rushed him yeah. know, through. And so now I think he's just mostly, almost exclusively, I think he's still doing some, maybe he's playing a little bit in the field. Maybe I think he only played in the field when he was uh, with the Padres at the beginning of the season, but I think he's just pitching now. Right. I don't know if that's what that means long term. There's Ike Davis has converted to pitcher. Yeah, there's a he lot of conversions. Yeah, there's conversions. I mean, guys like Kenley like, Jansen. Uh, well, yeah, he used to be a catcher. Yeah, Kenley. Right, but there's the, but there's these guys who like do it at the end of their career. Yeah, right. You know, Rick and Keel. Yeah, and Keel. That's but, a great one. That's a classic one. That's a weird one. Yeah. Um, yep. Because soul experience. But then you know. Jordan Schaefer, he tried tried pitching for a year. That's right. I, I hooked him up, and he went back. So he played in the major leagues as an outfielder, tried to convert to pitcher, and he just pitched last year. This year, he's just playing outfield, as far as I know, in, in, in AAA. So that you know, he he didn't quite make the uh, the step the two way. Micah Owings, folks might remember him. He sure. was a pitcher originally who got some pinch hitting time because he was just such a good hitting pitcher and he and he ended up i think in the playing outfield or, or first base at the end of his career but not in the majors so he did convert from pitching to field and there um, are he didn't it didn't stick in, or make it to the show there are guys too that are like who you know pitchers who rake basically who they're like oh yeah like bum garners like oh he could hit or like zambrano back in the day carlos zambrano yeah but like, can they play a position like right the exactly field first base or even left field you know it's you know and, and it, it's not that easy it, it's you know it's tell them wash <laughs> it's yeah <laughs> yeah. But, yeah exactly it's, and it's like what would they look like if they were out there six days a week it wouldn't be that great so yeah. you wonder but there's but wait i've got more there's, I've got three more guys. Awesome. That uh, Stetson Alley, who 
was a pitcher from 2011 to 12 that converted at some point in 2012 to a hitter. And now back after four years or five years of that, he's back to pitching in 2017. He's never made it to the majors. I think he was a like first round pick or number one pick by the Pirates one year. Yeah, is he still in the Pirates orc? I don't know. Good question. But I'll look it up. Yeah, check it out. He's gone back and forth from pitcher to hitter, now kind of back. Uh, Adam Lowen, that may ring a bell for people. He pitched in the majors 2006 to 2008. He showed back up in the major leagues as an outfielder in 2011. And again, as a pitcher, uh, as recently as 2016. So that was kind of kind of funky now you mentioned in, in the opening of the show a couple guys uh what hunter green and uh what's the other dude's name brendan mckay brendan mckay i was gonna be like yeah blake shelton the country music guy uh brendan totally, mckay same totally thing. different totally different. yeah okay these guys are supposedly being drafted as two-way players okay in my recollection which it is spotty at best uh for anything but particularly something like this brian bogusevich is probably is was drafted to be a two-way player and Bogusevich did that from 2005, 2008, at which point during that time he decided to go play full-time in the outfield. It was his decision to do so. I know that for sure because his mom told me. That's inside information. <laughs> That's inside information. His parents, I happened to see him playing in the game. Uh, I think in 2012 or 2013, I forget what it was, but he had he did actually get pushed into emergency pitching service for the Astros at some point in 2012. He made it to the majors as a, as an outfielder, so I guess his choice was correct. Um, but it was about wanting to play every day. Cornish Wong's like he just wanted to play every day. I'm like okay, that's, that's good. Yeah, and he made it, but he pitched. He looked because he looked very pitcherish. I'm like, why did he stop? Did, you know, and he's like, because he didn't want to. Um, and he he hasn't pitched again since. I still think he's playing pro ball. I'm not sure if it's affiliated ball or not, but he's still been around. But I don't think he's pitched since. So he really gave up pitching except for one inning, uh, despite being drafted as a two way guy. So I mean, that's. I mean, is there anybody? I'm. I'm there's got to be some guys on on this. I know sure that there are some, but I want to touch back so, on. Yeah, Brendan McKay again for a second because sure. so I was watching the draft coverage and um, I had heard about him a little bit like I didn't know a ton about him but um, knew that he was like a two-way player I think Louisville or Louisville or however you say it um, yeah. I'll be chastised by our I'm, yes I'm sure uh, but he was drafted and he was drafted as an outfielder I think or first baseman or something. And the, the video on him was just like, he looked just deflated. Like it was the worst thing. And it's like, he just went, whatever, where'd he go? Like fifth in the draft or something like that. And he just looked just demoralized. And it was a, that was a, a tough thing to see because he obviously thought that he would be drafted as a pitcher. And, and, and it is meaningful. Right. Like this, I learned that this, like what they say for some reason, I, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, this isn't like they brand you on the chest and that's your position and you can't, nothing changes. Cause I have to but do with no, the um, contract negotiations. Do you think I, you know, I don't know, but I remember it was with Bryce Harper when right. he was drafted as an outfielder, right? Not a catcher. 
Right. Yeah. And he was fine with that. He's like, oh, well, they announced him as a you know, right fielder or outfielder. It's like, yeah, it, he was cool with that. So, so this guy, did, he didn't know that he was going to get... I guess, yeah. I, I guess not. So um, he was the, where was he? Fourth pick in the draft wow. um, by the Padres. No. Okay. So he so he had to have Sorry. contact. So they kind of yeah. He was so they the, had to talk before the draft, right? Yeah, he was a fourth pick in the draft for, uh, by the Rays. He was drafted oh. previously by the Padres, but fourth pick in the draft oh, okay. by the Rays. And good news for all of you, Brendan McKay fans, he um, both hit and pitched this season um, at Low A. So he got um, let's see. Um, t- 21 games at first base, 15 games at DH, and six games pitching, 20 innings. So, so at a, that age, that's a starting good mix. He was, he was like in a piggyback. He was one of the piggybacked guys. Yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. Wow. Okay, so the Padres selected him and he didn't sign. Do I have that right now? Yeah, that was in 2014. So that would have been yeah. That would have been out of high school. So so he said, screw you. I'm going to college and doing this. And now, and so the Rays are letting him. Okay. So, and then the other guy is, what was he like the number one pick? Hunter Green. Uh, number two, I think. Oh, two. Yeah. He was definitely one of the most touted prospects. Like he was on yeah. magazine covers. Yep. Big piece. Goes 100 miles an hour. All Sports that stuff. Illustrated. Yeah. He was the second pick by the Reds. Okay. Um, but he's, a, but has he been allowed to? He has DH'd and pitched. Wow. So, yeah, he's pitched. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I know. We're going to see it four in a third innings, and then he's played. At what level, though? He's, rookie he's ball. a high school. Yeah, he's so, a rookie. Pioneer League. Pioneer League. Okay. So he did go out. Yep. Uh, he's out of the complex. Yep. Still. Yep. Um, so it'll be so, cool okay, to so see. So he's a high school draftee who they already sent out of the complex ball to and let it play both ways. Okay. Yep. This so, is this is happening. These are legit two-way prospects. So along with Otani, um, obviously, who will, if he is posted, arrive to the big leagues um, before either of those two guys. Um, there's two yeah. other guys kind of coming up behind him that that could very well be two-way players. Shortly after we recorded this, C. Trent Rosecrans from the Cincinnati Inquirer wrote a piece about how Hunter Green is going to be pitcher only moving forward. So uh, we'll link that up in the article as well. You know, the question that I asked about Otani goes for these guys too. Like where do they fit in, in the, in the clubhouse? And, you know, because I think that um, from my understanding of the clubhouse, you, there's there's kind of different roles and um you know it's harder for a pitcher to be like the mm-hmm. you know the clubhouse leader because they only pitch every fifth day etc cetera, etc cetera. so kind of where do they fit in how do they kind of mesh with the team and the leadership and because obviously they're going to be one of the you know expected to be anyway one of the better players so, you on the know, team. So it's it's not all the same because you don't spend the time in the dugout and you i think it may be closer to excuse me to the bullpen like so relief pitchers are kind of a different thing right but the comparison that may say that no no this works someone who basically is a hitter and does all the hitter stuff but also has to deal with all the pitcher stuff you catcher so i right. mean catchers assimilate into both groups that's true. So I think that is probably the template. 
you know, but without the, the notion of servitude that the catchers may have to possess in their makeup. <laughs> so they got a little chip the on their shoulder. And, but uh, yeah, you could totally, I can, so I think there is actually plenty of precedent for a player having to deal with the both routines because they can spring training the catchers have to do everything. They have right. to do all their own hitting, but they also have to be there to catch every, you know, all the work. So, and they do the extra prep work as well. <clears throat> so they don't just look at the opposing pitcher. They look at every opposing hitter. So I guess that's probably our, our, uh, kind of, you know, benchmark as it were, where his type of cultural role might be is somewhere in the lines more of a catcher in terms yeah. of spreading out his commitments and relationships. Well, that sounds which, really weird. Which is interesting too, because, you know, like when you look at catchers and their dynamics in the clubhouse and then kind of obviously post playing career, you know, catchers go on to become managers. So, you know, these guys obviously, um, there's been a lot of talk about Otani's makeup. There's been a lot of talk about Hunter Green's makeup. I don't know as much about Brendan McKay. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't read a Sports Illustrated piece on him, but um, so I. But I would imagine he's got good makeup too, or else you know he probably wouldn't have gone fourth in the draft. Um, but he would say. But so I think it, that's an interesting, um, interesting note about um, the similarity with a catcher and how that might play out in the clubhouse. I think that that that's a really good template that you mentioned. And with that, I think that ends our discussion two-way players. But we're going to come back to something else. Uh, So we will be right back, and um, we'll talk some more in your ears. Welcome back. And today we're going to start something a little new, a little different. We are going to talk about some things that we've learned. Um, And uh, so, Harry, what have you learned about baseball? Oh, so many things. But we were supposed to be like, what did I learn this week? This Um, week, yes. That was like two weeks ago. We had this, that we were going to do that. And then we recorded such a long thing that we didn't. I think maybe it was last week with, with Russell yep. and Dan. Well, anyways, um, it, I, this is not from this week, but the thing I learned this week, uh, delayed version, and I do have something else that's new just from today. The uh, Today is the 14th, for those of you listening in the future. Uh, there was this funny thing happened where one of our writers at Baseball Prospectors, uh, Patrick Dubuque, he, he sent me a, a note asking me if it made sense to compare – the rate of home runs per plate appearance on a uh, era controlled way. So rescale everybody's home run rate to 2017, which is like a record high, apparently home runs for plate appearance. And I, you know, I was like, you know, I don't know those distributions may not map. Right. You know, I know Jonathan judge dealt with like historical distribution comparison or whatever the hell it was for DRA minus. So, which kind of boils things down to a 100, you know, as average scale. So you can compare somehow across time, I guess. Um, I suggested he talk to judge about that. So my, my idea was do your diligence, do it right. Get this, you know, check out this, this, the BP way do it sophisticated. Well, the next day sky called and tweets out the, the darn thing. Um, and I was like, Pat, did you work on this with sky? He's like, no, it was just coincidental, totally coincidental. 
And those of you who don't know Sky, he he used to he was my editor at Beyond the Box Score and Dan Turkenkoff's editor at Beyond the Box Score many 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 years ago. Um, and uh, so that that. That, that's uh, that's who Sky is. But anyways, he still plays around sabermetrics, of course. And he showed something which I thought was really interesting, that if you scaled it out to, to 2017 rates, the greatest home run hitting of all time would be Frank Howard. His 1968 season with the Senators would have been something like 86 home runs. That's a lot. Yeah. So I, I've Frank met, Howard? I've met Frank Howard. The big he's he's condo I think was his nickname. Okay, Frank Howard is a gigantic human being. Um, he had a lot of home runs. He's something like six seven two fifty. And in the early nineteen eighties, like nineteen eighty one two maybe three, he was the manager of the New York Mets. You know, so he he's an old man now. I think yeah. he's actually still he might he's still alive, but he's got to be like ninety. Because he, he was pretty old back then. And so after he was manager, you know, he, he, so he was just this famous slugger, just, you know, but also like this known to be an extremely nice guy. So he was uh, then after being the manager, he actually stayed around. And this is, I think, before, I don't know, before, right before Davey Johnson and the, eventually the team that won the World Series. But I think it was 84. He was the hitting coach. I was like 13 and got to meet him on an on-field clinic. And he's like, this is just the biggest human being I'd ever encountered at that time. And, and this is at Shea Stadium. And, at, you know, the plane flying over, you know, w- was interrupting my question. I was asking him as, this, as I always did it, anything you took me to. Any of you kids have a question? You, I always had it. I was that kid. I always had a question. So I had a question for him. And I just remember him wrapping his arm around me as the plane flew overhead so he could hear me. And it was just, you know, this gigantic grandfatherly, you know, That's person. That's awesome. Yeah, and I still have his autograph on a ball sitting right here on my desk. It's quite faded. But yeah, cool. so when I, I always just get all like sentimental about those things. And, and other players at that event were Brent Gaff, look him up, people, Junior Ortiz, um, Mike Fitzgerald, Walt Terrell, who did not want to be there. And, I remember him from his Tigers days. Yes, exactly. He was this not, he did not want to be there. But Junior Ortiz clearly was enjoying himself, you know. Uh, you know, Mike Fitzgerald was enjoying himself. Frank Howard, like, was you know, grandpa and being n- nice to all of us. Ron Darling stopped, even though he was late. We ran him some players down, like in the bullpen as they're coming into the players' parking lot. Uh, and Ron Darling apparently was late, but still stopped to sign. Uh, he didn't sign his whole. It was just Ron Darl. He didn't have time for the A. <laughs> and he went running off in his kind of purplish sports coat, very, very nice. dashing man yeah. about town. He was quite the handsome devil. Yes, it still oh. is, still is. So today, yeah, so that's what I learned a few weeks ago. Well, I have Frank to say, Howard, I have yeah. to say, I'm looking at Frank Howard's baseball reference page, and he has the most, um, well, the the eyeglasses that he's wearing. Yes, remind me very much of my great grandmother. Um, <laughs> Your great grandmother was a strapping Nebraskan. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, a very uh, of the time, it seems. Uh, if you go look up like a picture from one, it's like card. For what he I'm was sure. Manager, yeah. That's, you, that's the man, you know. That's awesome. I yeah, he, oh, he was so sweet. He was such a sweet guy. He was like, but he was just giant. He was huge, but he was just he had this incredible niceness. He, uh, he 81 years well. old. 81. And uh, living in Columbus, Ohio. So. No kidding. Yep. He's a good Midwestern boy. That's right. 
Um, thank you. That's an awesome story. Um, very, I love stories like that where it's like they're older people, like ball players, or you know, in any in any setting where they like kind of really know that like there's a kid here and this kid is like really putting them, themselves out here out there for you and and they just kind of take you yeah. in that, that's really cool 30 33 years later i still remember him well uh, that's that's the power and i still remember walt terrell being crabby so i mean it's just you remember these guys when they put on that baseball jersey they're they acquire certain powers over over children and, and adults yeah totally but particularly over children yeah for sure well um that's a really cool story um, I'm going to share my, what I learned this week. Um, I don't think I had, I, I might've had one last week, but I've forgotten since forgotten it. Um, but I have learned this week that the Cleveland Indians are amazing. Um, I don't know why it's taken me so long, but, uh, so, you know, they just, yeah, just as of, as of right now, they're, they're 22 wins in a row. And, um, I was, I've been thinking about that kind of as it's kind of grown and I was like, oh yeah, like 13, that's, that's a lot. 15. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's a really lot. And, uh, so now it's 22 and, I'm, if, you, if your team goes on a six-game winning streak, and then a five-game winning streak, and another six-game winning streak, and another five-game winning streak, it's all together. <laughs> yeah, it's like sweeping seven series in a row, which is like what crazy. It's crazy. And so, I, like, I've been thinking about, like, how do they do it? Because they don't. I mean, their team is obviously their team is amazing. You know, they're a really good team. They were in the World Series last year, but they almost won the World Series. Yeah, they're very close to winning the World Series. But they don't have anybody that's like, um, that you're like, oh my gosh, like a, a Mike Trout or like, I mean, there's Lindor. He's awesome and super, super fun to watch. Yes. Um, but. And then their pitching staff, they're all super, super talented. But I think it's just an interesting thing um, to see how kind of how the team is built. And um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know what I've learned quite yet about the team or about well, I'll give you. I'll give you baseball. one thing I learned about the streak. There you go. Go ahead. That there were only four innings in which they trailed. Really? That, that was through 21 games. So I don't wow. know. Today's game was close, apparently. Yeah, so. they, they but came they back. basically were never behind. So in game in, in win twenty one, Detroit took the lead first, and that was actually an accomplishment. Oh my goodness! It, it it's somebody tweeted out just a text list of you know by the three letter abbreviation either Cleveland or their opponent or tie what the status was at the end of every half inning. I think yeah, about the entire so it's like you know hundreds you know, and it's just. You don't see anything but Klee or Ty, except for a couple like, you know, oh, DET at the end. And right. Click, 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 click. You know, again, and it just, it's insane. They just flat out dominated everybody for. Yeah. And I'm looking at their, on their, on the website, on their website, the, their, you know, depth chart. And like I said, like, there's nothing that's like, oh my gosh, this guy's like surefire Hall of Famer right now, like superstar. 
I mean, Lindor is the closest to that. There's Carlos Santana, Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Ramirez, Lindor. Uh, yeah, these guys are all really good. Yeah, they're all really good. And then Urshela, Urshela, or however you say his name, and then like Lonnie. Urshela Andrews from the James Bond movies. I think yeah. it's different. I don't different, not yeah, the same. Not the uh, same. Uh, no, the, I don't. The lady in the white wasn't the lady in the white bikini with the knife. Mm, I think you're thinking. I don't know what you're thinking, Harry. Uh, nope, different. <laughs> totally different. Um, and then like Lonnie Chisholm or like Austin Jackson. Well, Lonnie Chisholm is great. Jay Bruce, like all of these people, and there's another, you know, Kipnis and Brantley. You know, they've got some people who are hurt, but like, there's nobody that, like, is. Yeah, but nobody's bad. Exactly. I think that's the thing that like their pitching staff is all good. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Francona seems to keep the clubhouse happy. Any tigers? And they bring in tigers. I don't know. All he does is you know like. Troll his friends with the on, on video boards. Right, right. So that's what I learned this week, um, and <laughs> Which and means? the last week, and the last week. But I, and I learned something that. today that I want to throw in before we, yeah. we close, which is that that Major League Baseball has released their outs above average, you know, stat OAA, which is based on Statcast hit probabilities for outfielders, and it's got, I think it's a good thing that they're showing people a metric that's based on a probabilistic model of a catch that if it's a catch is made three out of four times based on its trajectory, you know, 75%. If you catch it, you are credited plus 0.25. And if you miss it, you're credited minus 7.75 and you add those up and you get like 25 extra catches for Byron Buxton. And that's good. This is a good thing. I'm really happy that they they put together um, a metric like that and showed it to people because that's how pretty much everything works, anyways. With this, and that's once you get into these probabilistic, you know, tools and on defense, and but they kind of wrote their article today and posted the the leaders, and it's part of their leaderboards, and I think it's a good thing. Now I probably have quibbles and details about how the models underneath it work, and that's probably fine. But the, the paradigm and the construct, and showing you who's valuable by the number of plays they've made, which you're just one step away from figuring out how many runs that's worth, just multiply by like 0.8 or something. I think our friend Chris Style pointed out on Twitter today, and you know, so you have a rule of thumb of how valuable catcher's range, uh, catcher, how valuable an outfielder's range is above the average outfielder. Um, it's not the perfect metric. It's not their final metric, I'm sure. And you should read the article because it's kind of cool and explains the caveats. Uh, but yeah, we'll link to that. Kudos to Major League Baseball for uh, for producing something neat. Right on. Well, there. I think there will be no shortage of things that we learn, and um, I think we're going to keep keep sharing them as we as we keep learning them. So, yep. Um, All righty. Well, I think that about does it for us this week. Um, we can be reached on Twitter at stolen underscore signs and the email stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. Feel free to email us questions or feedback or thoughts or uh, if you can think of any other two-way players um, that we missed, uh, definitely hit us up on Twitter or email. We would appreciate that. 
and, and and ideas for our stats and storyteller series. Yeah, if so there's tell us your favorite broadcaster or writer. Since the season's coming to an end, we may be able to get some of these people who have nightly obligations or daily obligations freed up a little. So if you all can start helping us come up, because we can we have our own list of names, but we'd rather meet some new people. So please help and let us know who you like to uh, hear from about how they use baseball stats and their work, whether it's as a broadcaster or as a writer or as a columnist, what have you, as a YouTube star. Yes, as a YouTube star, all of the sure. baseball YouTube stars that we know about. All of them. So actually, yeah. I, was, I, had a, I had a question. Um, and um, do you know of any celebrities that are I know like there are celebrity baseball fans but do you know any like celebrity stat heads that's a good question I don't know I don't know I don't know of any but there may be some like I didn't know that I watched a, um, the thing where it talked about how Al Franken is a deadhead and I didn't know that yeah. and of so, so Franken and Davis were, were joined at the hip with the Grateful Dead for many years they would, they would warm up. They do between acts. They were they would. Oh really? The, they would. They were the host in the Grateful Dead movie uh, in 1975, the closing of you know, the Winterland and the the, the Dead going on their break. Whatever that maybe I'm mixing up like three different movies. Um, they even named Al Franken and Davis even made a movie of their own, which they named after a Grateful Dead song, One More Saturday Night. So yeah. Well, there you go. Maybe I should so, pay that, more attention. Yeah, Senate Deadhead in the Senate. He's not just a comedian, folks. No. He's a hippie. <laughs> and a senator. If he's a senator. And a lion or a tiger or um All right. Well, yeah, so if there's any um any folks in the more general population, not just um baseball nerds or writers or whatever, but um we'd like to talk to them too cuz I bet they have an interesting take on it. Um Good. So yeah. So um that'll do it for this week. Thank you again to uh, Sungmin Kim, and um, we will talk to you guys later. Goodbye, baseball! Hide yourself away, make light of the situation. It's gotta be too way, or it's never gonna, never gonna, never gonna.